right into today's message. Father, we thank you with all of our We give you praise and honor. We open our hearts. We open our minds to revelation from heaven. And we thank you for it. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me in welcoming Rabbi Jonathan Kahn to this broadcast? Praise Sir? Praise you. I am so glad you're finally here. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this since the first day I read about half a chapter of the Harbinger. And I don't think I sat down a solid until I finished the whole book. And I'm like I'm like three or four million other people that, that are in, in, in this same place. I am so blessed that you are here, sir. I am blessed to be here. I know it's been a long time to make it, but I, I'm blessed and amazing with the Lord. Let's talk about the Harbingers. I, uh, like I said, when it, it, it's the very outset that so wanted it, it. You know, I'm I'm like millions of brothers that just kind of eat stuff and said, come here, can I was just so tinkered by it and still am. I've been meditating on it and studying it now for a long time. And as you and I were talking just before we went in the air, the dominating power just so excellent. Really took me in. But the next thing that, that just expanded was the patience of God and the grace of God. I believe this year and I've had people think I've come crazy, but judgment is a process of seed time and And it is so merciful. If we just didn't do anything, it would be, I mean, it, 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 just, it, it would just devastate everything. And, and he steps in to keep that from happening. That's right. That's right. Yeah, even in judgment, this is mercy. You know, our, our faith is centered on the cross, which is judgment and mercy at the same time. You can't have mercy without judgment. And the other thing is that, exactly, you know, people ask about America and they say, well, you know, if shaking's coming, is that, is that, that a scary thing? I think it's the opposite. If nothing happens, if it just keeps going, if the culture goes as it's going, that's scary. Yeah. You know, it's the mercy of God that you, because he's against evil, but he's for it. So he always, not that, he always warns before and he always, always calls out. And even in this, it's exactly that. It's a process because even in the last days of Israel, he shook them, but then he kept calling them, shook them, called them, gave them time, gave them more time. You know, his heart is mercy. You know, his his necessity is to deal with evil, but his heart is mercy. That's the cross. Oh, that's that exactly is, it. That is mercy. Yeah, that's exactly it. And yeah, and so the, the Harbinger is a is a, a two and a half thousand year old mystery from the Bible that literally lies behind everything from 9/11 to. Uh, to the economy, to what's happening, to what has been, what is coming. I didn't look for it, Brother Copeland, I wasn't looking for a revelation. It just, it happened.
happen. We're you know there by uh, located by uh, New York City and Ground Zero, and nor did I plan to write a book. And then when it finally happened, literally I don't get it. The book just wrote itself. So so I was kind of like an observer, you know. So the the ultimate point is that is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God of the Bible is the same God now. And He moves and He's consistent with His Word. He's consistent with with His pattern. And the the same God who warned and called to Israel is calling to us now. And that's the ultimate thing we have to argue. That is big. Yeah. That's big in me. And it's just getting bigger and bigger. That that His purpose is not just to uh, not just to save us in the slightest just barely miss destruction his purpose is to outpour himself in this last time that overwhelms all that the devil's done for all of these years absolutely you know, the, the, when people look at the, the end times they often only focus on one part and they focus on the dark and that's there's there the love of many shall go cold but it also says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh the gospel shall be proclaimed to all nations, and the, the lights of God will shine. So, absolutely, the, old, the end game, if you can call it that, is revival. That's the heart of God. And that's that's his heart. That, always. That's and, always what he's after. Always. And most of us, most of us, I know I can speak for myself, did not come to the Lord unless there was some shaking. I came to the Lord because I was shaking. The last, I was an atheist. The last thing I wanted as a Jewish man, a young man, was the Lord. I didn't want it. But the Lord shook me. He caused a train to hit me. And that is how I got saved. So I thank God for the train. I thank God for the train because without that, so most of us come to the Lord through shaking. But the, the it's the end purpose that is what God's all about. Amen. Yeah. Well, get us in there. I, okay. I, I'm so excited about this. Yeah. Well, there, first of all, if we start with ancient Israel, and ancient Israel is a nation that God Himself ordained, God Himself founded, founded on the Word of God, founded on the covenant. And, and in that, they were blessed. But when they turned away from God, when they turned away from his word, the, what was to be a blessing is removed. And it turns into warning. They, they started driving God out of their culture, out of their public square. They started bringing in other gods, Baal, Moloch. You know, they, they began to call what was evil good and what was good evil. They were persecuting the people of God, persecuting the prophets of God. And this is the times of Elijah. That, this is the northern kingdom, which fell first. They also, they promoted immorality, and they even offered their children as sacrifices to Baal and Moloch. That's how bad it got. And so, you know, the Lord is, is merciful, and he's long-suffering, but you cannot mock him. And, and his, his word is real, and he's real. So he warned them. He sent prophets to them. He says, he says but they didn't listen to the prophets. They, they hardened their hearts. And so finally, he allows something to happen, which is a, a, a classic pattern of judgment. What he did is he allowed the nation to be shaken. He allowed the hedge of protection to be lifted up temporarily to allow an enemy to come in temporarily to shake them. The, the purpose was, as we were talking, was mercy. The purpose was so that they would not be destroyed. Well, they shoot his word first. Yeah. Oh, the, they paid no attention to that. Because they mocked him. If you look at the, look at the biblical record, this is over centuries he sent his word. And he sent Isaiah, he sent Micah. Over to them and again and again, Hosea, Amos, you know, he sends them, but they mock them, they mock them. And so, so only as a last resort is he finally allows this to happen. And even then, the purpose is mercy. Even then, the purpose is listen, he's saying, wake up, because if you don't, you're heading to destruction. 
so it was to save them from what was coming. So this happens in the year 732 BC, when the Assyrian Empire comes in, the hedge is lifted up, and they wreak havoc in Israel, and it's, the nation is shaken. But instead of returning to God in repentance, instead of coming back, which is the purpose, they respond with defiance. And, and these are these are hardened people. They defy, and the prophet Isaiah, who's in the south, he records what they say. And this is the key verse with the harbinger. This is what begins it. Isaiah 9, 10. You know, people know Isaiah 9 for the book for, for the Christmas part, because it's unto us a child shall be born. All that's there. And it's, but then it goes on, and this is what it says. Isaiah 9, verse 8 says this. The Lord sends a word to Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. And all the people will know it, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in the pride and arrogance of heart, and here's the thing, the bricks have fallen, talking about the attack, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them, or we will plant cedars in their place. Now, if you just looked at this, you could say, well, if you didn't look at the context, you'd say, well, hey, this is, this is a great thing. It's about encouragement. No, it's not. What God is saying is the people who were being woken up by God, instead of responding with repentance, they respond with defiance, saying, God, you're not going to humble us. You're not going to make us come back to you. We're going to come back stronger without you. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, you, you know, the bricks fell. We're going to take bigger souls. We're going to put them in. We're going to build higher and bigger. We're going to do it on our own strength yeah. without you. Yeah. And we're going to continue going this way. So that's the first thing. And then they say, well, the sycamore fell. But we're going to take another tree stronger and plant it to show you we cannot be stopped. We're coming back stronger than ever. And so this is this is a, it's a prophecy within it. And these are from this colonized harbinger from this vow that brought judgment. And as they did, if you go on the rest of the chapter, it goes on saying, okay, because they did this in arrogance, now will come this, now will come this, now will come this. So there are nine harmonies or nine prophetic signs that appear in the last days of Israel based on this, and, and the, the, they ignore them and they head to judgment. Well, the eerie thing, the stunning thing, and how true God is, the amazing thing, is those same non-harbingers of judgment warning the people, warning the nation in danger of judgment, have now reappeared on American soil. Some have appeared in New York City, around where we are. Some have appeared in Washington, D.C. Some have involved American leaders, even the President of the United States, just as it involved the leaders back then. Some have involved, obviously, they have, you know, talked about the power of the word. They have, they have reappeared ex with, with, with specific fulfillment with people who don't even know what they're doing, they don't even realize they're reenacting this, but it's because God is sovereign and God is above all these things. They reenact all these harbingers, all the nine harbingers have reappeared to America. Now, now the, the context here is this, what's the link? America, you know, I've said that there's two nations which have been founded solely on the word of God. One was Israel, the other is America. The Puritans founded this nation, founded this civilization, they dedicated to God. They said we're covenant with God. They, they said, and then, you know, John Winthrop, you, know, you get the famous city on the hill. And, it, you know, people said, well, well, that's what he did. But people won't read the next part. He said, if we follow God, we will be as a city on the hill. All eyes are upon us. We'll be the most blessed nation as Israel was blessed. But, he said, if we turn away from God, then the same judgment that came on Israel will come here on us. Well, that's what he said. Well, America, as much as it followed God, was the most blessed nation on earth. I mean, used of God, mightily of God, as much as it followed, as much as it said the gospel, sent the gospel to the world, also was a haven for the Jewish people. God was 
surrounded and, and they're taunting him saying, we're going to destroy you, they're the Assyrians. And they're like, nobody stands before us. They're, what they're using is psychological warfare and terrorism. So, but, uh, but Isaiah says, no, no, we're going to trust in the Lord. And, and an angel comes down and that's it. So the thing is that, so they're the ones behind Isaiah 9:10. they were the ones who went into the nation and made this strike of terror on the land. Just one strike and then it was over. Well, here's the thing. 9-11 wasn't just an attack, it was a strike of terror, number one. Number two, the people of 9-11, the, 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 they came from the Middle East, the same place as the ancient Assyrians. They, in fact, some, you know, they come from that same region, and you know, when the Assyrians were carrying out this attack on the land, they were speaking Akkadian, that's their language. Akkadian is dead, but there's one language in the world today that is the, the equivalent of Akkadian, the sister language, that's Arabic. The, the same language of the attack of the Assyrians was the same language that carried out 9-11, the ancient Assyrians. And then, then we are brought into, we're, you know, we, we, America was drawn into this conflict in Iraq because through 9-11. Iraq is ancient Assyria. It's, it's the same land of the Assyrians. When, when, the, when the soldiers were walking in, American soldiers, they were passing descendants of the Assyrians who brought Isaiah 9-10, that same thing. You know, in fact, in fact, uh, you know, Mosul, which is one of the places which, which was the, the, the theater of war, is ancient Nineveh. This is the capital of Syria. It's, that, it's behind Isaiah and Isaiah. Same people, same everything. So you have even that replaying in the 21st century. I mean, how consistent this is. The next, the next harbinger, I'm only doing it quick, but here, the next harbinger, it says the bricks have fallen, they said. The bricks have fallen. Well, the, the sign of the attack, the sign of, the, of, the, of this was literally the ruin heaps. When they looked around, their buildings had been destroyed. The collapse of buildings was the sign of what happened then. They looked at the ruin heap, heaps, and, and that's what they saw. So the bricks have fallen, meaning buildings were falling. It, the, the key sign of 9-11 was that exact, the exact sign of the harbinger. The falling of great buildings, the falling That really marked that attack. It, absolutely. That, that's what stunned everybody, everybody, was to see those towers just fall in on them. The bricks have fallen, the exact sign. And even in the, and, and in the ruins of, of Melod, in those ruins were actually the brick, actually literally bricks. And I'll, I'll share something I've never, I've not shared because it just was this weekend. Turns out, I'm gonna share with another scripture that was found in Ground Zero as, as we do. But there was, a, there was a scripture, another scripture I did, that was found in Ground Zero. And I was just looking at it this weekend. It was fused to the metal. And you know what? It had words from the Sermon on the Mount on it, but the key words, the last words there, was when Messiah, Jesus, talks about the collapse of a building. And it was right there in John Zero. He says, he talks about the building that was not built on the word of God, on the rock. And so it says, the storm came and it fell, it collapsed, and great was its fall. That was the scripture. That was that was in ground zero, fused to the ruins. I, I just looked it over, it was just this weekend, so nobody's heard, but absolutely the word of God, I mean, in all things. Now, I, I just looked it over, it was just this weekend, so nobody's heard, but absolutely the word of God, I mean, in all things. Now, now, so every single thing, and it's not, we're going to see, it's going to get even more uh, eerie or amazing, but we're going to see leaders of America reenacting without realizing what they're doing, and it's not that anybody is trying to make these things happen, nobody is. Nobody is. And, and you're going to see also that the leaders don't even know what they're doing. No, they, 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 they have no idea. Yet you're going to see them pronounce 
this word on America as it was in ancient Israel. You're going to see even the President of the United States do it. And it's going to happen all over because God is sovereign and because God is merciful and he does not act without warning and without calling us back. Oh, my, my. And we just don't break. That um, the timing of it, well, what it, it's, it's simple to understand when you stand back and look at it. Here's the nation of Israel. Here is the United States. And God established both. They're both under the same mandate because they were created by the Creator. And so both judgments and both activities are exactly the same. Yes. Does that let us know what's in God's heart or not? I mean, that lets us know what he had in mind when he established the United States. He doesn't see two, he sees one. To be a light to the world. To be a light to the world. And God, it's the same God is alive. The same God is well. The same God is on the throne, no matter what. You know, Americans say we're not under God. We're still under God. Oh, yes, we are. God is there. God is real. God is us. Praise God. We're in the midst of the grandest outpouring that's ever happened to this planet. And for God to be so gracious to allow you and me to be here right now and, and to be involved in what he's doing is just beyond my imagination. I, but I'm so thrilled to have you here at this time. It's marvelous. My, my blessing. And I'm still amazed that God can involve any of us. You know, what an honor to be part of this book. And I want, I want to say this for this whole audience. One of the things that thrills me beyond measure is to have a Jewish rabbi on this book and give me the opportunity to show you and every Jew on this planet how thrilled we are mm. to be a part. Mm. I, if, if it hadn't been for you, there would never have been a me mm. because <laughs> Christianity owes its existence to the Jews. Yeah. And our voices have been quiet far too long. Well, it, it's mutual because, you know, it's like Ruth and Naomi, you know, and Ruth, there's a whole thing with that. Ruth, you know, was the Gentile. She's blessed through Naomi to come in, but through Ruth, Naomi is blessed. So, so it says, you know, salvation went to the world, went to the Gentiles, also to bless that we can come back. You know, so, you know, you know, it's a beautiful love story. You know, the non-Jewish person has come in through the Jewish people that the Jewish people have come in back through them. So it's the love of you and the love of God's people, which hasn't always shown in church history, but it's shown now. It is. That is the love that, and the prayers that have brought us back. You know, I came back, there were people who were praying. There were people who, part of it was also Hal Lindsey and, you know, the Lake Lake on Earth. They were, they, they were faithful people to keep the torch burning. This is Israel's torch for everybody. But they kept it burning so we can come back. And so one is not complete without the other. It's like it's like a marriage. It's like man and woman. That one, they're different and they're the same. And they, one, you know, one completes the other. So we're us coming back, you know, that's part of the closing act. You know, the closing of God's thing. And, and without one without the other is, is something's missing. The Jewish people without 
the gospel, something missing, and the church without its Jewish roots is something, there's something oh, missing. Yeah. Sure, the Israel and the church have to come together. Isn't it and, wonderful? And it's yeah. It's so wonderful. Praise God. Get us back okay. in here, Rabbi. Let's get back into the. Okay. Just to set the stage in a, in a nutshell, we're looking at the, the mystery of the heart of the Jew, which is the last days of ancient Israel. Went away from God. There was a strike on the land that God allowed that, that to warn them, shake them up. And then the harbingers of judgment warning them are appearing in the land. And then the parallel is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And today, now in America, the same harbingers are appearing, warning, calling us, beginning with 9-11 and going forward. So right exactly now, the same. Happening with specific theory of fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. So it's we got up to three. <laughs> you know, so so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the fourth one in the book. And the, and the fourth one is the tower. And here, here's the thing. You know, the, the people, after the attack in ancient Israel, they said, you know, the bricks are falling, Isaiah records what they said. We will rebuild with hewn stone. In other words, they're saying, we're going to build bigger. You know, bricks, you can go up so far, but hewn stone, you can go to the sky. Right. So that, so that's, so they, they say, we're going to rebuild, and we're going to build bigger, better than ever. So what happens is they start rebuilding to show, basically, man and God, we're not going to be humbled. We're going up without God. And the thing is that when you look at the, there's a, a version of the Bible called the Septuagint, which is, which you know, which is the first translation ever made of the Bible. In fact, the New Testament quotes from it all the time. It, it's the Greek version made by rabbis for the Greek-speaking Jews. This is before the New Testament. And so, in that version, when they got to this vow on judgment, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn or quarried stone. They translated it this way: the bricks have fallen. Come, let us build for ourselves a tower. Now, where did they get that from? They got it from Babel. They got it from Genesis 11. And they, they saw the connection between Babel, a tower of defiance going up, and Isaiah 9.10, where a, a nation in defiance says, we're coming back stronger, going to build a tower. Well, the, here's the, what happened after 9.11. American leaders start saying the same things that the leaders of ancient Israel said. I mean, the same things. And they start saying, we're going to rebuild bigger, stronger, better, higher, taller. And they even say, we're, we're going to... Some very famous people said, we're going to build a tower that's going to be a, it's going to be defiant. It's going to show the world we are defiant. They, call it? They, they literally use the words of that. They literally use the word defiance. The same words that you find in the commentaries of Isaiah 9 10 all the time. They're doing what ancient Israel did. And, you know, it wouldn't be wrong to build, but without God, that's the problem. That's is the whole thing. That's the, the issue. You they can't do it yourself. say, by your grace and help, we'll rebuild. No, they said, we're going to do it, and we're going to be stronger and bigger without you. Really, in defiance of God that, himself. Just like just like the same spirit of Babel. You know, the, 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 the tower going up. And the thing is, for the book, if you look at the Hebrew, you know, it says in the beginning of this, this vow, Isaiah, it says, the people say, in pride and arrogance of heart. Well, the word in Hebrew for the arrogance is the word, is the word gadal. Now, gadal means arrogance, pride, but also from that word you get the word tower. The very word. Oh. The word in Hebrew, migdal for tower, comes from pride. Pride, the same thing from Babylon. So even it's even in there in the Hebrew. I mean, not like in the Greek, in the Septuagint, it says we're going to build a tower. In the Hebrew, it's linked to pride. We're going to build a tower. So. Here this tower goes up. So what happens in on, on ground zero is they, they start rebuilding, saying we're going to show we're coming back stronger. Well, not only do they start doing it, but they actually build a tower. And the whole thing about this tower 
is that they say it's going to be it's going to be bigger and stronger than the one before. It's going to be taller and it's going to show the world of our divine as well. Now I didn't realize this. You know, when I originally started seeing this in the Harmony, I didn't realize this, but there was, a, in fact, I don't even know if it's in the Harmony. There, there was a scripture hidden in Ground Zero that that a guy, the official photographer, saw it and he took a picture of it. They whisked him away because it was dangerous. It went out. He looks at his camera, looks at the picture, and when he sees the picture, he breaks down and weeps. What was on the picture was one page of the Bible you could see, and the scripture was, "Come, let us build for ourselves a tower, embedded in ground zero." The words of Babel right there, and the words of Isaiah nine ten, the Harbinger scripture in the Septuagint right there, where the tower was going to go up. So here, America builds a tower without God to show the world that we are stronger with and without God, as America in that time has been moving away from God, and yet say that's a bad combination. That's oh, a dangerous that's combination. Deadly, and there's more. One of the things we won't do it now, but because one of the things about the Harbinger is that they haven't stopped. They've continued to manifest. So we're going to see something as we go later about what's happened since that has to do with that tower right now. But now we'll go to the next the next Harbinger. The next Harbinger is this. They said the bricks have fallen. We will rebuild with hewn stone. Now that the, the the word in Hebrew, of course, they didn't speak English, is gazit stone. Gazit stone is a massive rectangular block of stone, not bricks, not clay. They they quarry it out of the quarries of Israel. They go up to the mountains, build this gigantic thing, bring it back to the ground where this all happened, where the bricks fell, and they say this is this is the symbol that we're coming back bigger because this is bigger, this is stronger. So here is the stone. I sometimes call it the stone of judgment. This is the stone of their defiance. So they begin the building with these gazit stones. All right, now. What happens after 9-11? The people of New York go up to the mountains of New York. They quarry out a stone. The stone is a gigantic 20-ton rectangular block of stone. It's a biblical gazit stone. According to the mystery, this stone has to go back to ground zero where the bricks have fallen. They bring it back to ground zero, bring it to New York City, bring it to ground zero. They lower it down where the bricks have fallen. This is a gazit stone as in the prophecy of Isaiah. They have a ceremony around the stone. They have leaders of New York and New Jersey pronouncing vows of, of defiance over the stone as in the same spirit as in Isaiah 9:10. In fact, the governor of New York says this. He says, we are doing this in the spirit of defiance, literally says the word. Hmm. If you look at the, the commentaries on this, Brother Father, on Isaiah 9:10. You'll see again and again, the commentators will say, this is all done in, quote, the spirit of defiance. Well, they actually said it as they laid this gazit stone, the stone of judgment, at ground zero. That is the, the, the beginning of that tower. So not only have the tower, you've got the very word, the very actual thing from Isaiah. But the next thing it says, the bricks have fallen, we will rebuild with you stone. And then it goes on, Isaiah records, the sycamores have been struck down. Now... What happened is when the Assyrians moved in, that first strike, that warning, not only did they devastate the buildings, but the other sign was uprooted trees. They left the land in, in devastation, the, the, the trees fell. Sycamore. Now, the, the word in, actually, the word in, in Hebrew is shakam. When it means the fig mulberry tree. Now, when you put that together in Greek, fig mulberry becomes sucus moros, you get sycamore. So mm -hmm. that's how you get it. So the sycamores have fallen. Most, most translations will say that. Some say fig, but that's it. So 
the sycamore tree this whole. Now the the falling, the striking down of trees, as you know, in the Bible, again and again, is a sign of warning of judgment. I mean, the, the uprooting, God says to Israel, listen, I planted you. I'm the one who planted you. You cannot defy me and turn away from everything and expect to still be standing. You'll be uprooted. And that's the warning. The, the, the tree fall is a warning of uprooting, and that's exactly what would happen to Israel. It would be taken away, uprooted from the land. So it's a warning, a biblical sign of warnings, particularly the sycamore. You know, the first, the first sign of national judgment with Egypt, the first thing we have, it says the sycamores were struck. And the same sign, the striking of the sycamore. So here's the big Yeah, I mean, God is so consistent. And so the question is, could this sign, this harbinger, have appeared in New York City? Now, if you're looking for trees, the first place you don't you go to is not New York City. You don't expect that. But here's what happened. When the last tower comes down, it's tri- a, a beam goes forth, or the force goes forth, it strikes an object near the tower, right near the tower. And what the object is, is a tree. The tree that it struck was a sycamore tree. A sycamore, the same biblical sign of judgment at ground zero, is struck by the tower, literally by 9-11. So not only the, the towers fall on, on 9-11, but the tree falls on 9-11. Same, same word, that tree is literally named after the tree in Isaiah 9-10. Oh. Struck down the people of New York. They, they think it's a good, they, they make a, a sign of it, they put it on display, the, the uprooted sycamore, they put it on display, call it the sycamore of ground zero. People from all over come to visit this uprooted tree, having no idea that this is a biblical sign of warning and judgment of a nation that was planted by God's grace and yet turned away, warning you cannot turn away from that and expect those blessings to continue, but the warning of uprooting. In fact, in that, the uprooted tree, and actually that was the thing that I first saw when I was at Ground Zero, and I saw that tree, that's when something said, my inside said, you have to seek, this is a, this is a mystery here, you have to find it. it's the first piece. And if you look there, you'll find that what they had when they had it on display, they had the uprooted tree, and they had the tree, inside the tree was a was a brick. You know, it says the bricks are fallen, and the sick and the tree is fallen, and the same, they were together, in the roots of the tree was a fallen brick. I mean, literally, Isaiah in ground zero. You know, so, so and we're talking about exacting, and it goes on. God did will his name all over me. He's consistent. Well, us to yeah. see and, and understand. We gotta get this straight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if, you know, I think people say, well what? Well, God is specific and to, to put his mark, he uses his word. Yes. And this is his word, you know. And so you have that. Then it goes on, Isaiah says the people said the, the sycamore has been struck down, we will plant cedars in their place. Now, here's the thing. They start this is another act of defiance. They say, Okay, you're not humbling us, just like we're gonna build bigger, we're gonna take a stronger tree. And we're going to plant it right where the sycamore has fallen to show you we're coming back stronger. We're going to blossom like this tree. The tree, they choose it. The Bible, most Bibles will say cedar, and it, 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 that's a good translation. But there's more to it. They take the, the, the in Hebrew, it's the word erez, erez tree. Erez tree could be a cedar, literally, but it also literally means a, a pine, an evergreen. Um, it literally means panacea tree. That's the best kind of thing of it. It can be a cedar, but it can be anything that is of this family. And the thing is that what it, what it means in Hebrew, the word erez literally means strength. So they're saying strength. So the sycamore, okay, but we're putting, we're planting it right in its place. This, they're performing a ritual act. They're kind of showing God, it's like in his face, saying right where it fell, we're planting this other tree. Well, well, in Hebrew, it's the act of halak. It means to 
put a tree where another tree had fallen. Now, that's what happened. What happens to America? Two years after 9-11, a tree appears in the sky. It's literally being lowered down to earth, and it's going into the exact spot where the sycamore of ground zero stood and was struck down on 9-11. They plant, they're performing the ancient act of halak, the ritual act that Israel did, now America's doing it. Nobody knows what they're doing, nobody's trying to make it happen, it's just happening. They put it down, the tree in, in the place, they have a ceremony around the tree, and when they're, in, when they're around it, they call, they, they call it the tree of hope, meaning we cannot be conquered. So this is, we, are, we cannot be conquered. This is a sign. This tree is a sign, just like Israel does. And, and what kind of tree is it? I mean, the natural to put a sycamore where the sycamore fell. It's not a sycamore. It is a pine tree. It is a conifer tree. It is a panacea tree. It is the Erez tree. They perform the exact act of ancient Israel. Nobody could have put this together. I mean, nobody. The people who did it didn't even choose. I mean, somebody donated the tree, didn't know. The terrorists certainly aren't reading Isaiah 9 10. No. no, and they couldn't have planned the sycamore being fallen. I mean, this is how exact, exact God is. How he's in the details, how he's in everything. I mean, exactly. Performed at the ground of ground zero. If any element of this yes. had not matched, then it would not be so indelibly stamped with the mercy of God because he has set it up so exactly and so richly tuned together that any skeptic that looks at it cannot argue with it. God is saying, come on, come on, baby, straighten up now. Come on, repent over this thing and let me give you a new nation. Yes. Repent over this thing and let me pour my spirit out on this place. You're not trying yes. to destroy it. No, no, no. If, no. People say, well, hard. listen, if there was no hope or there was no mercy, there'd be no harbingers. That's right. What's the point of warning if you're not calling? What's right. the point of warning if you can't respond? If, if, if it was any less exact, I mean, that just shows you how God is so involved. Yeah, yeah, and that, so you don't miss it, and it, it brings you right back to the scripture, because this all, you know, I didn't know, when I, when I was when I was in Ground Zero, this began, and I and I saw that tree, I, mean, I had no idea where this was going, you know, and, and something says, look, search this out, there's something there. Immediately, I'm led to Isaiah 9-10. Not now, because you, you can go on the components, it's going to lead you right here to Isaiah 9-10, which is telling you, and, and the same scripture we were talking off the air that David Wilkerson, the, the week after 9-11, says this is, a, this is from God. He didn't know about the tree. He didn't know about these things. But And, th and, th and these things were only discovered. I mean, this happened right after 9-11. Most people didn't even know about this. And so, so it's bringing you to the same word. And the word that it's bringing you to, just these harbingers, is the word of what happened, what God gave to Israel when it was falling in danger of judgment. And the example we have, you know, the Bible says, these are all examples for us. You know, what happened to Israel is an example for all of us. And that's exactly what happened in Israel's last days. And when it turned away, but God is saying, it's his mercy that says, I don't want that to happen. It's his mercy that warned them then. It's his mercy that warns us now. Right. And he's saying, he's saying, I want life. Choose life. Choose life. But he's making it very specific. And it and it's even, Brother Carl, it's even going to get more specific. Because, because what happened next, I don't think we'll have time now, but what happened next 
is that when I, I literally was on the computer and I'm, I'm typing in Isaiah 9.10 and instead of, get, instead of showing me the verse of Isaiah 9.10, it takes me to Capitol Hill and reveals something I had no idea of. Not only were all the harbingers leading to Isaiah 9.10, but actually God was going to cause this scripture to be proclaimed from Capitol Hill. Sign of judgment. Talk about exact. Oh, my, my, my. Where are we, Tim, on time? Oh, my goodness. Now get your time stretcher out there. <laughs> this is so important. Now, now, get this. Don't ever be frightened of judgment. <clears throat> the person, the man or woman, that lives by faith. When God corrects us, it's because if we continue to live by faith and walk by faith and not by sight, we never have to change our lifestyle because the surroundings are changing, the economy is changing. We, we accept our correction. We stay in line. We're, in, we're, we're walking in the kingdom of God. We're walking with Him. We're walking through all of this rubble. Praise God, because there's an outpouring in hand that's beyond anything this planet has ever seen. And all of this, I'm convinced, all of this, these are birth pangs to the rebirth of this nation. A new nation under God. And I don't believe anybody yet knows what it's going to look like. Only God. And it's going to be the best thing that ever happened. The, the mercy of God leads to repentance, you know. And if you remember, we, we alluded to it in the first program, but that, that you know, we saw the glimmers after 9-11, the, the, the shadow of what could have been the greatest revival. We saw people going to church and never went to church. People talking about God and never talked about God. We saw what it could look like, you know. The missing thing was repentance. And now I believe, one of the reasons why I believe the Lord gave the harbinger again is that, that when the next things come, we're not unprepared. He's putting it That's together. Right. You know, people, when anybody talks about God, and I love they were shouted down. You know, and when they said, okay, he's God warning us, shout it down. But I believe he's warning now, putting it together, that when it happens, mm -hmm. we cannot ignore it. And we cannot ignore it except either say yes or no to God. And God That's the effect it had on me. And particularly the, the, the deeper I got into your book, the more I realized that, like, uh, my spiritual father back there years ago when this happened, he said, this is a wake-up call. Well, I believe we're waking up all over this country. My, this has been so wonderful. I, let's don't even talk. Just right back in here. I, I'm so thrilled over all this. It just, it, 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 the more it goes in my spirit, it's just going on like this. You know, I just go from one place of the word to the other. It is so yeah. Yeah, and what, and what happens between shows should be on the show, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, for those just to bring up to speed, here's the thing. Ancient Israel, uh, it is the 700s B.C. God warns them. They're away from God. God warns them. He gives them signs. gives them harbingers. And these are the nine harbingers of warning. They reject them. And, we, and the thing is, the same harbingers are now reappearing in America. And what we have seen step by step, we saw the breach. We saw the sign of the, the terrorist. We saw the, the harbinger of the fallen bricks, the fallen buildings, the harbinger of the tower, the harbinger of the, the Gazit stone, the stone of judgment, then the harbinger of the sycamore, the fallen sycamore, and then the Erez tree, the, 
the tree of judgment. So that's where we are. Now, what happens next is even, to me, more eerie because I was sharing before, when, when, when I was standing at Ground Zero and the Lord first started speaking to me about this, and, and I, I was immediately led to Isaiah 9.10, having no idea mm -hmm. what was going to come, mm -hmm. had no idea. But what happens, I'm seeing all the harbingers of Isaiah 9.10, and then one day I am typing into my computer Isaiah 9.10, I'm expecting to get the scripture. Instead of getting the scripture, it brings me to the annals of Congress. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I'm, I mean, I'm blown away. I remember telling my wife, I said, you won't believe what this is. That Isaiah 9.10 is not something just here. It is something that God caused to fall upon the nation. It starts out in the scripture. It says, God says, the, the Lord sends a word, and that word falls upon Israel, and all, all the nations shall know it. So here's what we're going to see now. One of the signs, the eighth harbinger in the book, is the sign of the utterance. And the thing is, in the last days of Israel, the leaders of Israel had to have made this vow. And I'll read it just for those who, who don't know. Sure. In Isaiah 9.10 says, they, after, this, after this attack, they respond with defiance. They say this. They said, the bricks have, are fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores have been cut down but we will plant cedars in their place. So here is the vow they made that brought judgment. But it had to be, the leaders had to have said this, because a leader is one who speaks for the nation. Mm -hmm. The leader is the one who charts the course of the nation. So if the people said it, that's fine. But the leader had to say it for this to be representing the nation. So it means in, in the capital city of Samaria, that's where they were in the early kingdom, the leaders had to have made it publicly, public statement in the capital, and it even talks about Samaria in the beginning. It mentions about those, it says, those it says the inhabitants of Samaria, capital city, that say, and the, and the nation, that say in pride and arrogance of heart. So they say it. So leaders, when they said it, they're trying to say, this is a good thing, we're coming back. But God is saying through Isaiah, no, no, no. You're spoken a word that is against God. This is a judgment on you by pronouncing it, uttering the power of what they, saying this, this, this vow is going to bring judgment. So, now here's the question. Could this harbinger, because this would mean a leader, an American leader, giving utterance to this vow of defiance and judgment in the capital city, could this have happened in America? Now, the thing is that any, for any politician to speak judgment, I mean, to speak about, I mean, crazy, I mean, anybody running for office, who in their right mind is going to do this? And especially not someone running for office. But here's what happens, Lord Billard. Three years after 9-11, on the anniversary of 9-11, so it's all about this, this context, a man gets up in Washington. He is running for vice president. He's a famous senator, John Edwards, gets up before a congressional caucus, and he speaks about 9-11. And at the beginning, as he opens up, he says, we have this word now for us now. And then out of his mouth, out of the mouth of John Edwards, he says, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will plant cedars in their place. He's actually uttering this vow of judgment, defiance, destruction, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He has no idea. Out of 30,000 verses in the Bible, he goes to this one, which most even believers didn't even know this, this verse. It's an obscure verse. No, Nobody, and yet, this is what the leaders of ancient Israel did. Now, here's a leader of America. It's like replaying. 
the playing, the drama, the, 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 you talk about the power of the word, to replay this exactly without knowing, he says it, and so by doing so, without knowing, he's identifying America now is in this context. He's speaking about 9-11, and he doesn't even realize this, this verse is specifically about the strike that comes as a warning from God of a nation that is in danger of judgment. He doesn't know, but he's linking it together. He's linking America as a nation that has known God, but now is falling from God in danger of judgment. And he's doing it on 9-11. He's, he doesn't know about the harvest. He doesn't know about the bricks. He doesn't know about the, the trees. He doesn't know about, but he's saying he it. just picked a verse to say what he wants to say. To say it without having, talking about context, having no idea of context. He says it, and not only that, but he builds his entire speech, the entire speech, on Isaiah 9-10. The entire speech. He goes on to say, we're going to talk about the sycamores. He says, where are those sycamores? Fell? He, doesn't, he doesn't realize that actually there was one. He says, where the sycamores fell, we will plant cedars, we will plant the arrows tree. He doesn't realize it's happened. He says that where the where the bricks fell, we're gonna plant the, the hewn stone. That he doesn't realize it's happened, but he's saying, you know, the whole speech is Isaiah 9:10. Someone can read it, the entire speech is that. Now, how does that happen? You know, the, the amazing thing is, you know, when you look at in in the in the New Testament, it has a time when Caiaphas actually says something. Yeah. And he doesn't realize what he said. He didn't realize what he said. He has no saying. idea, but it says he did not say it of his own. He said he's basically plotting murder. And he says, you know, it, it's necessary that, that one man dies, plotting murder, that the whole nation won't perish. Well, what the what the New Testament, what John says in writing this by the Spirit says, he didn't say it of his own. He didn't know what he was saying. He, he said it. It was actually by the Spirit. The Spirit was saying one man will die, though the nation can be saved. But he didn't know it. So there's a double thing going on. He's saying it, what he's thinking, but God is doing something prophetic at the same time. Yeah. And what yeah. it says is, it says that he did it because he held that office. It was the office of high priest. He did, didn't he? That's the my office. Thing. That's my thing. And the, it's high priest who actually... It actually offered, made it official between, yeah. uh, yes. between heaven and earth. He's representing the nation. He's speaking for the nation and the high priest would actually be the one who would offer up the sacrifice. So even that's part of it, too. So here it is, an example of unwitting prophecy, where he says it, and it's by inspiration, but it's not the regular way. It's in spite of himself. It's a judgment thing, but God does that, too. So now you have John Edwards, who is a leader of the, of, in the nation, who is a senator, who's running for, he's speaking, and what he comes out of his mouth, he means it one way, but God is meaning it another way. It is a, he means it, hey, look, everybody, we're coming back, which is exactly what the leaders of ancient Israel did. But it's a prophetic statement said, which is saying, it's linking everything together, saying, Peter, like, okay, wake up, people. Isaiah 9, 10, God is warning it's all happened. So here this happens, and he still has no idea what he said. It's said in the capital city, but that's not all. Because the, the ninth harbinger in the book is that, is the, is the, is the prophecy, and that is, that somebody, not only did a leader have to say this, but a leader had to have said it right after the event because he's speaking about what we will now do. This is what we're going to do. It's pro He's speaking, we're going to rebuild, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, that's what we're going to do. And then it gets recorded by Isaiah, so doubly it becomes prophecy because it's in the prophetic word. It's in the prophetic record, the annals of the nation, where Isaiah is saying this is not a prophecy of coming, that is a prophecy of judgment. So you have all, it becomes a prophecy. One, that it's spoken right after the event, this is what we're going to do, and they did it. And two, that it becomes, from the record of Isaiah, becomes a prophecy. Now, could somebody have spoken this 
right after the event, also from the capital city, a leader. Well, here's what happens. And most of us missed it at the time, but it's really mind-boggling. What happens is they get the, uh, the entire nation or the, the leaders gather on Capitol Hill day after 9-11. This is September 12th, day after 9-11. They gather on Capitol Hill to give literally America's response to what happened. So this is like prophetic. It's going to be America's response. The man who's appointed to do that is the leader of the Senate. Now, the Senate, it represents the, the states, the nation. He's representing the Senate. So like the high priest, he is literally representing America. So he is the Senate Majority Leader, Tom Daschle. And he is there, and he goes up to the podium to give the nation's response at this moment. He can say anything he wants. He gives a response, presents it, and then gives a speech. At the end of his speech, as he reaches the crescendo of the speech, comes to the point, he says this. This is before every member of Congress. He says, there is a passage from Isaiah that speaks to all of us at times like this. So here, he's about, he, what he's referring to, then out of his mouth, from the floor of the House of Representatives, every senator, every member of Congress, 9-11 day after says, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with dress stone. Then he speaks about the tree. He had the, he's, speaking, he's naming the harbingers. Every member of Congress is hearing it. He's saying it from Capitol Hill. It's America. He's speaking for the nation at these days. And he does. He speaks about the tree that struck down. He doesn't realize there is a literal tree that's just being discovered that day in the ruins of Ground Zero. He speaks about the, the stone that's going to go up, that, he, that we're going to put this He doesn't realize this is property. It's going to happen. It's going to happen three years later after he says it. They're going to put that Gazit stone, that, that hewn stone, on where the bricks have fallen. He said it then. And then he speaks about replacing the one tree with the other, the Eris tree. It's going to happen two years later. He has no idea, but he's speaking prophetically without realizing it. So, and, and this is recorded in the annals of Congress. Yes, this is the actual, that, that the response that America had through its leaders on the day after 9-11 was the exact same ancient words that were the response of ancient Israel after its attack that brought judgment. And so here he is identifying America as the nation in danger. They talk about God speaking clearly. This went out to the entire nation and the world, Isaiah 9, 10. And he, he, he identifies it. And it's the words that the leader spoke that invoked judgment on the nation. Many of us, we were talking before, when we watched what happened after 9-11, we were thinking, okay, maybe there can be revival right now because people are flocking to churches. If we were there, if we realized what was being spoken on Capitol Hill, we would know there wasn't revival then. That, that, what it, that there could be now, there could be coming, we believe for it. But back then, what it was saying is that the nation right is going to go defiant, is going to go farther from God. And at the end of his speech, so that's the, almost the end, he says, the very, he says, he says, Dashiell says, that is what we will do. He's referring to Isaiah 9.10. He literally is referring to that. And he says, we're, in other words, he doesn't realize he's saying it. We're going to do what ancient Israel did, which was defy God and go farther from word for word. I mean, and he's referring to Isaiah 9.10. He still, to this day, I don't know if he know what he, I don't know if he knows what he did or what he said, but it was prophetic. And so it would happen. And it's going to leave the stage for the next shakings and the further apostasy, defiance of America, that's leading to where we are now. But it was all spoken then on Capitol Hill. And, I mean, if that's not enough, and 
this is this is this definitely what I'm going to share now. Well, this happened after. We're going to bring we're going to go to the president of the United States himself, the president who represents the nation as the president. The first speech that he gave, that Obama gave, to a joint session of Congress, first major speech was right after he was inaugurated, went to Congress about the crisis, which in the, the harbinger is the second shaking, and also brings the Shemitah into, into now. But he goes to Congress, and he gives a speech. Now, now, Brother Goldman, the interesting thing, one of the things in the, in the Word is that when God gives a prophecy, he often gives you a kind of prophetic address. In other words, in the beginning, it's telling you very often who this is for, where it's going, what it's about. You find it in Isaiah 9.10. Before Isaiah 9.10, God says, it says, this is a word going forth to Samaria, going forth to this. It gives the prophetic address the people who say with arrogance, and then it goes on. Well, the interesting thing is, every time this phenomenon happens, that this warning of judgment scripture comes out to America, there's always a prophetic address before it. In other words, saying, this is this is from God, this is for now. I'll give you an example. The Tom Daschle, you know, when, when he speaks it, what does he say before he says it? He says, there is a passage from Isaiah that speaks to us, America, at times like this now, but it means times of judgment. So here he's identifying, you know, the, the thing here says, the word goes forth and all the people will hear it, or all the people will know it. Well, here it's saying this is to all America. That's before he says it. John Edwards, before he says it, he says, you know, at this time, September 11th anniversary, we have this word, we America have this word from God to bring us through. Well, he's identifying America and this is from God. Okay. Now Obama goes to the the Congress and he gives a speech about how we're gonna we're gonna come back strong, basically. Well, that's the point. If you had to take Isaiah 910, and if you read the commentaries, they do this. Put it into regular American English, aside from, you know, we have sycamores and everything. Put it, distill it together, it's this. Number one, we will we will rebuild and we will come back stronger. That's what it's saying. And all the commenters say. Well, Obama goes there, and then, and then as he gets in his speech, he says, you know, this has happened, and the economy, this, all this, all this, this, this. But tonight, here's the prophetic address to indicate, to alert you. Look, I want every American to know this. This is now for every American to know this word. What does he say? We will rebuild. We will, America, the United States of America, will come back stronger than before. This is the paraphrase of Isaiah 9-10. And including the key verse, we will rebuild. He says it. Now, if you if you were on the computer, which I was, you know, and you typed in, we will rebuild. That's all you did. It would lead you to Isaiah 9.10. Just those three words would take you on the first page of when it tells you what's happened. Would be Isaiah 9.10. Would be this prophecy. We will rebuild. That's how key this is. But after the president spoke, if you type that in again, what happened was across the world, the president's words, we will rebuild for America, replaced Isaiah 9.10. It took the place of Isaiah 9.10 on the internet. If you type that in, it literally, now it was Obama's we will rebuild. That replaced the leaders of ancient Israel. All over the world, all over the world, all across the world, the headlines read, and you can see it. Obama bows. We will rebuild. Obama, we will rebuild all across the world. That's what they took out of the speech. Isaiah 9:10, the whole speech, and we will come back strong. But it literally, I'm talking about the ancient and talking about the modern and the same God.
literally the words, not only went across America, but across the world, and we literally, the leader of America's vow of defiance replaced the words of ancient Israel, their leaders, word for word. Word for word. Now here's, and, and too, let me add, the bottom line of it is, we haven't been able to redo it. No. No, no word. No. Oh, this economy no. is trash, no. and it's because nobody in, in authority and both God and His grace and repentance. No. No. And that's it. That's it. You know, people look, that this, this could be a part of person as well, but nationally, you look at, you know, people say, well, you know, problem is economy, problem is military, problem is it. No, it's not. The problem is spiritual is with God and America. It's American God. That's it. If you don't get that, and that's, and that's really exactly what Isaiah 9 is saying. They're saying, we'll do it by this, we'll do it by bricks, we'll do it by our power, we'll get back. But God is saying, no, if you don't get back with me, everything else is going to fall apart. And everything we've done backfires. You know, and they tried to they say, you know, that, that right after right after 9-11, they said, we're going to fight this economically. So they, they slashed all the interest rates. You know, that's what they did. So we're going to rebuild it. What happened is what they did is they ended up doing the Isaiah 9-10 principle says, you do that, you try to, you try to fix your problem without God, it's going to come, it's going to cause the next problem. So what happened is they actually built up a balloon, a bubble that then came crashing down in 2008. And the whole thing collapsed, what they said, which is what happened in Israel. They said, we're going to do it here, we're going to do it by power, but without God, you're going to set in motion the thing, the very thing that's going to cause the next problem. Because it's like, it's like, you know, trying to deal with a weed and you, you know, you cut off the top, you cut off the top, that's not going to do it. You have to get the root. The root is with God. That's true in our life, too. You know, the, the, the issue is with God. Get it right with God, the rest will follow. The rest will follow. But put, put God first, everything follows. Put everything else first, nothing follows. But this is the same exact thing that happens. Someone that's reading this, these coming elections, and not, not just the presidential election, but everything that has anything to do with these coming elections, but the governor, the, the senators, the House representatives, or out down to the justice of the peace, I mean, that somebody in official capacity repents. Yes. That's yes. got to take place. Yes. Yes. And I think there's a reason, you know, Lord, one of the things that's going to the Lord keeps opening doors for me to go to Washington more than ever in my life, to go there again and again. Actually, the book actually opened up the doors for prayer in, in Washington. And there are people, I mean, actually, I think every member of Congress has received the Holy Jew. And, and, and there are people in Congress who are godly people, but they're a remnant. They're a remnant. They're not, in, they're not the president. I'm not, they're, not, they're not the ones, in the, but they're there. Some of them are running for president, and they know the Holy Jew. And so that's what we're praying for, because, yes, you need to have a leader, a Josiah, a leader to speak in repentance for the nation. Before, and, and, you know, that, Josiah was one man, but he led the nation in revival. And that's what we need. Well, that's happened over and over again. One man. One man. It left the impossible. But God's used him in here. And here he comes. Yeah. And we're we're back there again. The only thing, the difference this time, is the timing. All of these things that happened in the past were types and shadows and all all pointing to right now. And everything that's happening now has to come to pass. Mm. Certain things, I mean, Putin is doing certain things that have to come to pass. And, and all this, and here we are, right in this little sliver of grace time, <coughs> right before this, and we're there. 
today as, as God's people. Intercede for the outpouring of God's glory. And it's here, but as we intercede for it, we pull on it. Our faith pulls on it. In doing that, we're actually praying for this nation and for this planet. Man, I got to tell you, this has been an exciting time for me. This is just glorious. Ah, oh, that's so good. Isn't it amazing? There's no end. You know, I find there's no end to his mysteries. There's no end to how deep his word is. You know, a book is as deep as its author. There's no end to it. There's no end. It's so amazing. Yeah. Hallelujah. Absolutely. And we are, we, we just, this <laughs> whole week, we've touched on the harbinger. But one of the things we're going to do uh, is the, in the book, it's called The Mystery Grounds. This is a whole other realm. And this is, this is this. When Israel was fully formed, you had a, you had the king, Solomon, you had the temple was finished. The whole nation gathered in Jerusalem and gathered to dedicate the temple and dedicate the future of Israel to God. And Solomon prayed, you read that whole, all those chapters, pray and Lord, if they fall away, do this, this happens, have mercy if they do this. And there's a whole, he's, he's praying for the nation's future again and again. And this was the dedication. Now, it was this temple mount, it was the sacred ground, it was where the prayers went up, it was where everything went. But when later on, I mean, God was so patient, I mean, this is, this is like the 900s BC, but it was all the way to the 586 B.C. when finally judgment came. This is when a nation went way off, and he said, prophets and prophets. Finally, when the judgment came, Babylon came in, they went to the Temple Mount, destroyed the Temple. The principle is that the, the destruction returns to the same ground mm -hmm. where the nation was dedicated to God. And, and the thing is, it happens there, and if God is saying, hey, come back, nation. You know, this is where you made the covenant. This is where you were consecrated. Come back to me. Your only hope is there. So when they, they looked to the Temple Mount, they, it was a reminder from God of the covenant and a reminder that he was calling them back to come back to the foundation, back to where they were dedicated. So that's what happened. Now, could there actually be a parallel with America? Could this actually, this mystery, actually have been manifested in America? And here's the thing. America was fully constituted, you know, it was independence was 1776, but when it became a fully constituted nation, as we know today with the president over Congress, all that, was the year 1789. Mm -hmm. The day was April 30th, 1789. George Washington, the first president, is in the capital city. He puts his hand on the Bible and swears on the Bible to become president. He goes inside to Federal Hall, which is where the Congress was, and he delivers the first ever presidential address to America. Now, in that first ever address, often in the Bible, when you have beginning days or consecration days, you often have a prophetic warning. You have a, a blessing or a curse. You have that thing up. Washington actually gives a prophetic warning to America. It's in the first ever presidential words. And he gives a warning of what would happen if we turn to God. What he says is, and first of all, by the way, in that first speech, Washington gives glory to God. He says all of this came from God. Everything we have is from God. But then he says, he says this, the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself hath ordained. Washington is saying, America's blessings come from God. All blessings come from God. But if 
America ever turns away from God and disregards the eternal rules of order and right of heaven, then the, the, the smiles of heaven or the blessings of God will be removed from the land. That's the warning. He gives that warning. Then the first government of America, this is Washington, House of Representatives, Senate, Cabinet, all go on foot to perform their first act together. And the first act of the American Congress together with the president wasn't to pass a bill or vote or argue, it was to pray. The very first act on the very first day was to pray and dedicate America to God and commit America's future to God. They go on foot to a place appointed to, to for that service, for this that was two hours praying and dedicating America's future to God. Now, here's the thing. This was America's consecration ground on its first day. This was the ground. You can find out where it is in the mystery. Where was it? It was in the nation's capital. But the capital that day wasn't Washington, D.C. The capital was New York City, where it was it was the lower Manhattan, it was the lower part of New York City. It was where exactly is America's consecration ground? America's consecration ground. America was dedicated to God on ground zero. Ground zero is our nation's dedication ground, our consecration ground to God. That's where it was on the first day they were right there at ground zero. All that, the ancient mystery that the, that the, the warning, the destruction returns to the same ground where the nation was dedicated to God in prayer. It returns there. And on that day, a shockwave goes forth from ground zero, the dedication ground, and goes to the place where the federal hall where Washington gave the warning of what would happen if we ever turned away from God. And it strikes the foundation, you know, this federal hall, this is the foundation of America, it strikes the foundation of the foundation, puts a crack in the foundation. There on that day, there he gave the warning. But all around ground zero, all around ground zero, all the nations are, and watching, all the buildings are ruined or destroyed, except for only one is saved. One that is saved is the Little Stone Chapel, and it, it's the Little Stone Chapel where America was dedicated to God, the only place that was spared. It was right there, and right there, and, and, and buildings that were falling away got destroyed, but the, the reason why it was saved, they called it the miracle of 9-11, was that there was an object that absorbed the brunt of 9-11 and shielded the church, shielded the church. What was the object? The object was the heart.
same area in a different way. America's financial rise to superpower began with something called the Buttonwood Agreement. And that was these people in Wall Street, before there was Wall Street, signed a covenant called the Buttonwood Agreement. Called Buttonwood, and from this, from that, that, that moment, we rose. Wall Street began. But what was Buttonwood? Buttonwood was the tree under which they signed the covenant. So here it all begins, America, all that. Well, what was the buttonwood? The buttonwood is another way of saying the sycamore. The sycamore, the harbinger that was falling. And here, so here in Wall Street, Wall Street literally means that the Wall Street was originally called buttonwood. It was originally called the sycamore place. Here would be God saying, I blessed you from the But if you turn away, then it falls. And so here, what happened in the same place, same area is the sign of Wall Street of, of all our blessing falls. Fall because without God. And they actually, Brother Bill, they actually built a statue. The first statue they built, commemorating 9 11, was a statue of that fallen sycamore. 
and they put it at the end of Wall Street. So here, Wall Street was originally called the Sycamore Place, or the Buttonwood Place. Now they have a symbol of an uprooted Buttonwood tree, saying, listen, God is the foundation. God, every blessing you have comes from, comes from me. But if you turn away, I can uproot just as well as I can plant. I can plant. But God is calling for, God is calling for mercy, and that's the whole point. That's the point of Israel. I'm, I'll, I'll throw something in that I don't, don't normally do, and it's not, in the, it's not in the book, but this is something that happened afterwards, and I didn't know. What we have ground zero was the consecration ground. But what was ground zero before America became a nation? What was it? I sort of, it was, it turned out it was a land, and it, the one who kept the land, it was called the Ryerson Guy Farm. It was a farm. And the man who was in charge of it, the keeper, was a Christian. He was a, he was a believer. And he was a minister. And he wanted this to be something, but you know, he, it, his, name was, his name was Ryerson. Yours Ryerson. Keeper ground zero. But what happened, and let me throw this in. The sign of, of the, there's a crest for Ryerson, Ground Zero. It has two trees on the crest. And both of the trees are uprooted. It's strange, you don't put that on a crest. One, and Ground Zero, one tree is the, well, we're only, we're only going to it, but it's, the two, it's like the two harbingers on his crest. But let me, go, let me go further. So as New York City started growing, he said, you know, New York City's becoming too simple. This is way back in like 1700, so it's too simple. So he said, let me, let me get another land that's going to become the redemption of this. That became Ground Zero. But he, I'm going to do another land. So he, 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 he gets another land, moves his family, dedicates that land to God, this new land. That replaces Ground Zero. It's the new Ryerson Dye Farm. And actually, the man who started the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening, um, who was actually a Dutchman, he came to that little land, and he prayed with Ryerson for, revi you know, for revival. Now, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Where was that other mystery ground? Those two grounds of Ryerson were side by side for 300 years. Or where? It was not in New York. He crossed the river. It was in New Jersey. It was in. It was off an Indian trail. It was in the town of Wayne, New Jersey. The ground that is the other mystery ground that was the redemption turned out to be the ground where God led us and put our building, where the harbinger went forth to America. Our ground, the ground of Beth Israel, is the land of Uris Ryerson. We had no idea. We had, it's the land that matches up with ground zero. And it was the land that was redemption. From the first land of Ryerson came, the harbingers appeared. From the second land, the harbinger message came forth to America. Come on. We had no idea. We had no idea. In fact, in fact, there's a, there, if you go to ground zero today, you'll see a, a sign that says, it was called the Ryerson Dye Farm. It still says Dye, Dye Street. Where's the Ryerson Street? It's our street. The other sign is on our street. We had no idea, but how God is so perfect. You know, about, about when I started sharing about the harbinger, all hell broke loose, and we ended up losing our building. But then the Lord, it was all this plan. He brought us to the actual ground of the keeper of ground zero, Joris Ryerson, for the harbinger to go forth to the world. God is perfect, and that's the same land where the first great awakening, where the man prayed on that ground. Oh, my goodness. There's no... There's, that's the other part we talk about, how God is in charge of everything. It's redemption. It's talk redemption. about the Great Awakening and how that, how that well, 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 actually what happened well, is... That's where we are again. Yeah, well, that's where we're praying. And, and, and yeah, the, the, the man, you know, we know about Jonathan, and we're, I mean, we, we you know about uh, George Whitehead, Michael, and John, uh, John Lewis. But what, the man who was the first, the one who, from whom it started, was a man named, it was, and you'll see it if you look carefully, he was a Dutchman named Theodorus 
Freeling Heisen, and he, he ministered in New Jersey. And, and actually, other people talked about him. He was the first one. You can look at it in the 60s, around the time. And so he was Dutch. Joris Ryerson, the keeper of Ground Zero, was Dutch, and a believer, and a minister. And he, he opened up this new land, uh, replacing Ground Zero, and prayed and dedicated to God. Theodorus Freelinghausen came to the land, worshipped there, prayed there with, with the two, the keeper of Ground Zero and this. They prayed together, I mean, they had a service, and prayed for revival. And so the, the Great Awakening is linked Did to that. Right came. there. <laughs> and you're on that land. We had no idea. Oh, we my. No, we had no idea. The reason we found out is one of the descendants of Joris Ryerson, the keeper of Ground Zero, got born again. And they said, I want to go to, you know, they were like, I'm going here. They came to our congregation. They said, there's something about this land. I don't know what it is. They're wandering. They said, I don't know what it is. They discover that they are, they are not only the descendant of Joris Ryerson, but this was his land. And this land, he was buried there. He, I mean, he was there. This is where he ministered. And it's, it's round zero. Jonathan Connor, top notch. Hey, what does God have to do? I don't say, know. Hey, it's me. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, it says, Jews have had a sign. It started with a train, and then I think God knows we need signs. You know, you know, and, so, and God is so real. He, never, he doesn't stop blowing me away. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I believe what I've just heard in my spirit on tomorrow's broadcast, I think you should give your testimony. Okay. We want to know about okay. it. All right. I know a little bit about it, but okay. I, I want to hear it. I want to hear it again. Sure. Okay. Now, let me tell you something now. You can see, you can see what God's done. Whoever you are, you may say, well, you know, yeah, but I am so insignificant. What do I count for anything? Let me tell you something, sweetheart. There's no such thing as an insignificant human being. No, 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 no. Is there anything insignificant that God created? Well, then why am I in this big mess? No. That's not who you are. That's what and who you have become. Which means you can become someone else. You can become... Uh, you can get over into the plan of God so quick it'll make your head swim. God has a plan for your life. He has He has a working around you. He has a He has a spiritual highway laid out for you. You are His workmanship. Well, Brother Copeland, how do I get in there? Well, first of all, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, you accept Him right now. You say, "Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I receive you. I repent of sin." I want to go your way. Like Gloria, the day she got saved, she never heard of that. She said, Jesus, take my life and do something with it. Praise God. Well, that is 54 years ago, and I'll tell you what he did, didn't he? Amen. So my point is this. I, I was at a time in this ministry. I, I, knew, I, was, I knew I had gotten off of off, off the perfect will of God some way, I, I wasn't, I didn't know, but I was under conviction of that. I didn't know how, I didn't know what I had to do, and it really was bothering me, and I took off some, some time and just went before the Lord and, and prayed and fasted, and I said, Lord, what do I do? Well, the, the first thing he said, do you believe, just right in here, I'm hearing an audible voice, right in here where every 
good believer here. Listen, you hear? Do you believe I can take you by my supernatural power from where you are right now into the center of my will like that? I said, well, of course. He said, then pray, Lord, your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. I believe I receive it, and by faith I take it. He said, now, from that point, you just, you just begin to thank me. Thank you that I'm in your don't be troubled about it anymore. Now what happened, the more I said that, I could see where they, he kind of bumping me over this way, but, but the pressure was off. His desire is to put you in his will. That's where we are right now. Pray that God, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is so rich and so good. You you have talked about at least a twice this week about the train hitting you. I want to hear the whole story. I I want I just give you testimony. I want okay. I want to hear it all. Okay, but feel free to <laughs> come in here. Um, well, I'm born, you know, Jewish. I'm Jewish. I was born in a reformed Jewish home. My father came was was grew up under Hitler. And he was there, and when Hitler came to power, the German Jews sent their kids out. Yeah. And they sent them out on trains, and they came out. They sent them out, came to England. In England, they they when the war started, they rounded up all the Jews and the Germans, the the Nazi, the German Jews, the German, all the Germans, Jew and Nazi, because they thought they might be spies. They rounded them all up. They rounded up my father, put him on a ship to go across the Atlantic to go into a prison camp in Canada. And he was literally on a, sh on a ship with Nazis as they went across the ocean. And the, the ship before him sunk. And so he went over, they put him in prison, they were in prison. Uh, and after a while, you know, you, you had the older Jewish people and the younger Jewish people. And they were, the older ones were teaching the, the younger ones an education. They used toilet paper to teach them. Come you know, that's like scientists teaching them. And so, and so, you know, the Jewish people always have to survive yeah. it, you know. So, so, they, so finally, the Canadians realized, wait a minute, these aren't war criminals. And then gra gradually he got out. Education, science, became a scientist, came to America, met my mother. My mother's family escaped the Tsar of Russia. The, Rus the Tsar was saying, we're going to destroy all the Jews. Yeah. You know, a third of them will convert, a third of them will drive out, and a third of them will kill. And so they escaped, came to America. I mean, when you're Jewish, you're always escaping something. You know, it's always on the run. And, and that's prophecy. That's it. That's it. You know. So, so they came. So she ended up in Brooklyn. Ended up, ended up becoming a scientist. They two met as scientists, got married. You know, had three kids. I was the, I was the boy. There was two girls, and so grew up in a reform uh, Jewish home. That means it's the least religious of the religious. You know, not Orthodox, not conservative, reform. But I went to Hebrew school. You know, they sent me to Hebrew school. I was there all the time, learning about God. The God. And I saw film strips of the prophets, and and you know. David and God moving and all that, and I, I love that. But when I was about eight years old, I said, wait a minute, doesn't match up. You know, you have, I have the films, I have a God moving, and, but God's not moving here. I don't see the God of the Bible here. I mean, it was liturgy and, you know, reading the thing, but nobody nobody said, hey, God's in my life, or God did this for me. You know, the rabbi didn't get up and say, hey, God spoke to me today. It just didn't happen. I said, this doesn't go, because this is what's in the, you know. So I said, all right, there's no God. It's all, it's all false. So I became an atheist when I was eight years old. So that, 
atheist. Well, that lasted for a little while, but after a while, I said, wait a minute, atheism doesn't work. I started losing faith in atheism. I said, it doesn't work. I said, there's got to be something. There's got to be a reason. You know? So I started seeking. I'm searching everything I could. I'm searching. I'm searching uh, you know, books on science, on religion, on the occult, on UFOs, Nostradamus, Chariots of the Gods, you remember back then. And so I'm open, and, you know, it's kind of God got me through the back door. I, I was an atheist, but now I started being open to more, and, but not the right way. But So one day I'm in the store, and I look at a book, and I, it looks like Chariot of the Gods. It looks like it's a UFO book. So I said, let me get this book. I get this book. God tricked me. Because <laughs> it, it was the book he gave me. It was, it, the book was The Lake Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Oh, my. But they made that year, they made it look like a UFO book. And, you know, because that was, I mean, I thank God for those little quirks, you know. And so I picked it up, and he said, is this, the, is this the generation that Jesus and Moses spoke about? I said, well, all right, now I read about Jesus. You know, Jesus was in everything. You know, growing up Jewish, you know, we thought Jesus was cool. You know, I mean, he was, he was like a hippie, you know, growing up in the 60s. But it was, you know, Christianity in the church, we had Catholicism, we had a problem with, but Jesus was so cool, but didn't think he was Jewish. We thought he, or if he was Jewish, he converted and became Catholic. That's what we thought, you know. So, but you know, the one thing you can never believe in as a, as a Jewish person is Jesus. You, know, you, can, you can be a Buddhist, you can be an atheist, you can be a communist. But the one time you believe in the Jewish rabbi Jesus, that's it, you know. He said, well, that's amazing. Jesus must be something special because he's the only one who can make a Jewish person not Jewish. That must be the Messiah. So everybody's, so, you know, and, and whenever you read different things, they're all pointing to Jesus, all pointing to Jesus. You know, the, the Hindus point to, I mean, a Buddhist, but Jesus points to himself. So, so here I'm, re I, I, I'm, I'm open to it because I was reading about Jesus. So I'm open. I'm, I'm telling my friends I'm, I'm a teenager now. I'm telling my friends about the second coming, about Israel. It was all about what the Bible said was coming true. Israel has to come back. It's back. Jerusalem all back. So I'm saying, wow, I never knew anything about this. So I'm telling my friends, I'm not saved, but I'm leading them to the Lord. I'm winning them to the Lord. So I'm winning them, they were one to the other, and I'm literally, but, you know, I'm, but I'm living as a teenager, I, I had a rock band, and, and, you know, did what a teenager does and all that, and I didn't want to give up. I remember, I remember being in speech class, you had to do a speech in high school, and I, I, I preached the whole time. I preached about the second coming, about the end of prophecy. I'm preaching as a Jewish person. You're still doing it. I'm still doing it, but, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm, but I'm, I'm maybe that was preparation, but, 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 but so but I don't want to give it up because I think if you give up, if you, if, you, if you go to the Lord, you give up everything good, you check in, you join a monastery, check in, and that's the end of your life. So I said, Lord, I know you're the truth. Because as it's going on, I'm saying, wait, it's not just not Nostradamus. That doesn't work. Only the Bible, everything it said has come true. And so then it's like, it's like the Lord, it's not just, you can't just talk about this, Jonathan. He's coming back, and you're not right with him. So, so I, I said, okay, Lord, I know I have to get right, but I don't want to get right because I don't want to do that, you know. So I want to keep doing what I'm doing. So I made a deal with God. You know, it's very Jewish to make deals with God. You know, so I made a deal with God, except except He's a lot better than we are. So uh, so I made a deal, and I said, God, if you give me a long life, I'll accept you when I'm on my deathbed. That was that was the the deal. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna live a long life, and then when I'm finished, I'll follow God. You know, I'm about to die. So what happened is, soon after I made that deal, I was almost killed twice. The first time I'm in a car with a guy who I was part of leading the Lord, and we almost get killed, a car accident, almost get killed. It was miraculous that we didn't get killed. Okay, but it didn't, all right. But then a few months later, I'm in a Ford Pinto, which used to blow up on impact, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm cross, I'm heading to a train track at night, and the light is going on like the, you know, like the train's coming, but 
all the other cars are crossing, so I said, well, maybe it's broken. So let me go up. So I kind of go, I go up, and let me see if it's going to look, and I see a light, and the light is the train, but it didn't look like it was moving much because it was coming head on. I'm on the track. I didn't, I didn't realize I was on the track. It was a dangerous intersection. There was no, no protection, and it was on an angle, on a rough, on a bumpy road, and people had been killed on the track. So I'm on the track waiting for the train. Um, and, you know, last minute I said, you know what, maybe just to be safe, maybe I'm too close, just to be safe. So let me try to back up a little. So, so I'm going to back up. I look at the, now the headlights are back of me, you know, and the train's coming, headlights are back. So I so, said, well, let me just back up like a foot. I, I'm just being safe. So I back up a foot. I'm, I'm still in the path of the train. So I'm waiting for the train to come. The train comes and plows into the Ford Pinto. The, the car goes up like aluminum foil. The only thing I could get out of my mouth at that moment was call out to God. Only thing I could do. I called out to God, and the car is destroyed. And I didn't get a scratch. Oh, my I didn't get a scratch. It made the headlines, all this stuff. The police came out of the car. And, uh, and I said, Lord, I said, can we renegotiate? <laughs> can we? I said, I, I, I was literally, you know, people come to the Lord for a, for a good reason and all that. And, and for me, listen, I mean, it doesn't matter how you come. I was afraid of going to hell. You know, I realized that that within inches or within an inch, that was my eternity. I, that was it. And I was afraid if I if I keep going, I mean, it was a, it was a car, then it was a train. It's going to be it's going to be an asteroid, some meteorite, something's going to happen. <laughs> my, you know, he's a, he, my, I'm numbered, you know. So I said, Lord, I said, let's make a new deal, please, a new deal. And here's the new deal. If you... I'll accept you now when I turn 20. Just just don't kill me until I turn 20. That was that was my deal. So and it was about it was about eight months, nine months away. So so what happened was like a man who like a like a man whose time was up, like it was a contract, it was like came to my 20th birthday and I said, okay, you know, I gave you my word. I didn't know how to get saved. Nobody was leading me. I didn't know what to do. I you know, I remember he was what I remember from Hebrew school is that Elijah met the Lord on the mountain, you know. And, and uh, you know, and God made Moses on the mountain, so let me find a mountain. So I, I look around for a mountain. You know, so I find a mountain, it's night. I go get up to the top of the mountain. I get on the top. That's why I told you. I see this tower. It says Tower of Babel. I said, that's my life. I don't want that. I, I go over. I find a rock, a flat rock near a tree. I kneel down. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have, you know, but I'm giving my life to you. I put my faith in you. Just take it from there on in. That's how I came to the Lord because of that locomotive train. If it wasn't for that train, I wouldn't be saved. I thank God for the train. You know, it says Jews demand signs. I needed a train. That's what it does. Because we're stuck. We can be stubborn. You know, and and from that moment, I remember that person. I said, okay, now what? I, you know, I said, you know, I thought I thought when you come to the Lord, because people become. I've been talking about people and they were coming to the Lord. You know, and one of them suddenly came to the Lord. It was like lightning came through them. You know. I said, so Lord, I thought, so like, you, you prayed to the Lord, and something happened, like a bell rings, or something says, you know, number 503, you know, gets in, you know. <laughs> I, I thought, give you some sign. <laughs> and I didn't, see, I didn't see a sign, you know, and, and, I, and I, but I realized that first week, it was like there was a presence within me that I couldn't curse anymore. I could there was something, it was like having a jacket on you that you never had before. Yeah. And, 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 you know, then you get used to it. Like, but, and my life started changing. Now, my, my parents, you know, were not happy. You know, they didn't want to hear about Jesus. You know, when you were Jewish, you're raised as the one thing that you can't, you can't believe in Jesus. But the thing is that, but they liked the effect of Jesus. They liked 
they, the sign of Jesus. They liked what happened to me because it was Jesus. You know, that's but the thing is, you know, I was called after this. Talk about like mysteries and how God speaks. I was called later on. You know, I was called to go to the nations, and I would, I would, I would always end up being called to go up a mountain. I mean, always. Like, you know, and it usually was a, a witchcraft mountain, voodoo mountain, something, some supernatural thing happened on the top of the mountain. We're gonna, but something was happening. Well, the time came, it was my anniversary in the Lord, and I said, you know, it was my birthday, and I got saved on my birthday. I said, let me, let me go back, let me visit that mountain again. So I go up the mountain at night. This time I bring a, a, a trump, a shofar and a, a shawl, you know, and a Bible and a flashlight. And I find the, the, the stone where I gave my life to the Lord, and I'm just praying, and I open the Bible, and just, just, just have it open to where Jacob returned to the place where he found the Lord, you know, Bethel. But then I said, okay, that's interesting. And I just open again, and, and it says, it opens to a scripture, it says, the enemy says, I have your mountains, Israel. That's weird, I'm on a mountain, you know. But then I had a great time, blew the show up. Next day, I'm in church, I'm in the congregation, in Beth Israel, and at the end, somebody's waiting for me online with a present, a gift, and it's a woman, and it says, you know, we know it's your birthday, so we have a, and they bought a, a picture, it's a drawing they bought, of a man blowing a shofar with a tali on top of the mountain. I said, that's weird, I said, because that was me last night. I said, this, this was my anniversary of the Lord's my birthday. And they said, really? I said, yeah, I got saved on the mountain. And the woman says, what mountain? I said, well, you don't know the mountain. Yeah, I don't know the mountain. I just, I know where it is, but they said, no, what mountain? I said, well, I described it for her. And the woman says, the woman says, I live at the bottom of that mountain. I said, really? She said, do you know what that mountain is? I said, no. So that mountain is dedicated to Satan. I said, really? I said, I got saved on the top. So that's what we gather. I said, really? I said, I, I kneeled down on the rock and gave my life to the Lord. They said, that's the altar. Here's the thing, but here's the thing. I remember when I was there on the mountain and I saw words in graffiti that said, no Jew shall enter these sacred grounds. And I said, who on earth, what Nazis are, who would write that? Satan worshipers, Satan would write that. And it hit me, I said, you know what? For 2,000 years, Satan has been trying to keep the Jewish people from their Messiah. He's been trying to keep the Jewish people from that mount. He literally is on that mountain in Jerusalem. I mean, here's where salvation comes. You know, it was the, it was the mountain of my salvation. You know, and the enemy was trying everything he could. He's tried everything he could to keep them because he knows when the Jewish people come back to him, that's it. When he comes back to the side, that's it. So he tried to do. So he's tried everything. I said, you know, it's too late, Satan. I'm in. I'm in. You know? and, 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 exactly, and, and I realized the whole big picture. You know, you have the Temple Mount. You know, that's where Jesus is coming. That's where he's going to reign. And the enemy puts up that mosque, puts up to this my mountain. The enemy says, I have your mountain. This is the enemy. The enemy will always, I mean, you know this, I'm preaching to the choir, but the enemy will always try to put a blockage on God's sure. promise. Yeah. You have God's promise, God's land, and you will always try to put that there. But the thing, I mean, the key is, you know, when the, when, the, when the Jewish people first came to that land, there, was, there were enemies in there. They had a fight, and we have to fight for the promise. The promise is given. The promise is given. It's given. But we have to take the land. We have to take that land. You know, the enemy tried for 2,000 years to stop the Jewish people. He tried to, he tried to wipe them out. He's, I mean, that's, that's the secret. That's why the world has tried to destroy them. No people have had everything against them like they have. He's tried everything he could for 4,000 years to wipe them out, but he could not do it. Because the God of Israel is alive and well. The God of our Bible is powerful and mighty. And nothing stops it. Every power that tried to destroy the Jewish people is gone. Every empire has fallen.
that Israel, the weakest little nation on earth, has survived them all. Yeah. Because yeah. it is because the God of Israel is real. The word about when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Even if it takes even if it's two thousand years, he, he keeps that. Yeah. He doesn't forget the two thousand years, he's not gonna forget the promises to us. God is real and nothing stops. And he promised also, before the end of the age comes, the Jewish people are coming back. We're coming back. This is part of his prophecy. This is part of the sign that he's alive, that he's coming back and that he's coming soon. And it's right now. Hey, man, I believe it's it all is. my heart. It is. It is no nation. You know, we believers for ages have prayed, oh, Lord, that we could see the day that Israel would come back, would be alive. You said, and a lot of people gave up on the word of God. A lot of people said, you know, this is never happening. He's never bringing them back. You know, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. It's all the church replaced Israel. No. God said it, and then, and, and you know, no matter what, God, did, God didn't go along with the plan. You know, God said, I'm going to bring them back. He did. One of the, that's what took me from an atheist to believe in, in God. He said it. He did it. He said he'd give them Jerusalem. He did it. He said the whole world would be focusing on Israel. It is. Yeah, he said the world would be against Israel. It is. But he said, as long as the stars are, as long as the sun and the moon are there, as long as they're Israel shall not pass away from being a nation before me. They are my witnesses. As long as God is, they're there because God is real. We have the only, we have the only God in the world who's the only God who has the witness of God of, of history that He is so real. Now that but that brings us right back to the heart of the matter. Yeah. That brings us right back to the mysteries. It the the uncanny timing and detail of all of that. That's. In, in my heart and mind, that's the reason he's done this, yes. because it is absolute evidence. Yes. He, you know, you were talking before off the air, but, you know, to think of, for one prophecy to come true, for one prophecy, I mean, just think Mary and Joseph, you know, you know, they had to be the exact people. They had to be born from the two exact people who fell in love before them, and who fell in love before them. And everything in the world, you know, everything in the world's connected. You know, every event in the world, it's called the butterfly effect, every single thing affects everything else. So every event in the world had to come be an exact place for the prophecy to come true. And that's not just true in then, it's true now. Israel came back, that's prophecy. That means everything in the world, in our lives, in our grandparents' lives, everything had to be in its place for God to do it. He's the God of every detail. And here we sit. Yeah. <laughs> we We're part of that detail. Isn't that awesome? You're part, you're part <laughs> of that detail. This is what just so... And it just has me so stirred up in my in my spirit and in my soul. We are part of this detailed working of the Spirit of God right now. What you pray counts. What you think counts. What you do counts. And it'll count on one side or the other. You can't just go on just do any old thing you want to do without it counting for destruction. It's all part of a woven network of destruction that Satan's been trying to do all this time. And every negative word, every cursed expression that goes forth is all detail of that. But the moment you make Jesus Christ man of Nazareth your Lord and Savior, boom, your whole part of it just exploded in his face. And now, here we are, pulling on heaven. Our prayers count. Glory to God. What we pray means something to God. And when we call on Him, we, we, we intercede for this outpouring. You're interceding for your family. An intercessor is one that stands in the gap. There was a time when God said, I have no 
intercessor. Mm. Can you imagine a whole world nobody intercedes? Mm. Mm. But God took care of it. Yes. And now look at it. There's not just one of us or two of us or 50 of us or a million of us. We're, there's tens of millions of us all over this world pulling on heaven, man. Yes. Oh, glory to God. Me. He says, watchmen, don't give up. Don't, don't, don't quit. Don't, don't quit and keep reminding God until he makes Jerusalem a praise. You know, uh, there's something about the praisers. When Jehoshaphat, yes. all his big enemies coming. Yes. You know, I thought for a long, long time that that God told him to put those singers up there. But he didn't. Jehoshaphat inquired of the people. Mm. And they decided, we're going to praise God mm. is his battle and our victory. Yes. Can you imagine what each one of those guys thought <laughs> yes. when they're out there in front yes. of this and they're, they're in their own mind? You know how the devil yes. works. In their own mind, they're thinking, man, I hope this works. <laughs> That's a sacrifice of praise. <laughs> yes. They were sacrificing yes. themselves. Yes. They're believing this is going to work. Right. But this battle not over yet. That's right. That's right. The armies of Israel and the praise is a weapon. And I mean, I know you know, but and the word Jew. It says we are spiritually, we are all spiritually yes, Jewish. We are. And the word means the praiser of God, Yehuda, of one who praises God, one who gives thanks That's to God. Who we are. And it comes from it comes from the, the root word yod, which is an open hand that praises God is also the hand that receives the blessings oh, from God. That is. Say it again. The, the, well, the word for Jew is one who praises God. If you are spiritual, you are the one who praises God no matter what. And the word Yehudi comes from yod, which means a hand, the open hand. The open hand of praise is the same hand that receives the blessings from the God. Outpouring. Yeah. That's who yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. God. Yeah. Yes. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it.
has any reason to be frightened about anything. Nothing. But if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's time to take care of that right now, right this moment. Now listen to these words. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture said, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, pray this prayer with Rabbi Khan and me. Pray it out loud where you can hear it with your own ears. Jesus has done all the hard part. The one thing he can't do, never will be able to do, is pray your prayer for you. You have to make the decision and pray that yourself. The rest is waiting for you right now. Pray this, O oh God in heaven, I believe with all my heart that you raised Jesus Jesus, come into my heart. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. I repent of sin. I renounce it. I renounce the devil and everything he stands for. And you, Lord Jesus, are my future. I'm asking you to fill me now with your precious Holy Spirit. To overflowing, I fully expect to speak in other tongues just like they did on the day of Pentecost. And I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. The scripture says you are born from above, born of the Spirit. You're now a citizen of heaven. So we want to send you this little book, free and postpaid, to help you get started studying your Bible. This, this book, you don't need to be uh, struggling with this book, and this will help you get started. Praise God. We'll see you again tomorrow. I'm so glad you did that. You just got to let us know now. Use the information there on your screen.
you right at the door. The atmosphere is uh, glorious, and it gets better and better. The presence of God is here. Coming here is being refreshed. I know I'm being changed just from being here. is always offering day on the Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast. And beginning with the sixth verse, let him that is taught in the Word communicate or respond unto him that teaches in all good things. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And that's what we've been talking about all week. God was mocked by what they did and he was mocked by what we did. And glory to God, his power and his grace and his mercy is overcoming them. Absolutely. Now, whatsoever man sows, that she also reap. For he that sows to his flesh, of flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The word life there, the Greek word zoe, the very, the very essence of the life of God. Father, I pray over this. And I'm asking you to reveal to each one of us what our part of this offering is. We sow it in response of your word and the words of your messenger that you sent to us. And in return, we receive our every need met, spirit, soul, body, financially, and socially. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, whatever the Lord tells you to do, do it. But do it in faith and do it expecting your day of outpouring. Glory to God. Amen. This is so rich and so good. Now, you got you, you know now what I'm going to tell you to do. Go to church this weekend. I would call it a revival or a riot or something. I mean, seek God and choose to believe His Word if you missed any of the broadcasts this week, you know what to do. Go to kcm.org or on the Roku channel, our, our place on the Roku, the Roku channel, praise God. And go back over these things again and again and again. It's so good. It's been wonderful. We'll see you next time. Until then, remember this. Jesus is Lord. Kenneth Copeland Ministries is here for you. Watch the Believer's Voice of Victory anytime on our website, kcm.org.
Remember to download your free copy of the study notes at kcm.org notes. You'll have access to all the scriptures, prayers, and key teaching points for each of the broadcasts. Continue to grow in the word with this week's product offer. Be sure to order yours today. Build your faith with these word-based teaching materials. Jesus has opened the door for your victory. Come to a Kenneth Copeland Ministries event. Jesus said, have faith in God. Well, that we, we agree with that. That is the key. I need wisdom. Have faith in God. I need to hear from God. Have faith in God. I need to know what to do. Have faith in God. So see, the information's already here and it's already on the inside. April 7th through 9th, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland welcome you to the 2016 Branson Victory Campaign at Faith Life Church, Branson, Missouri. April 22nd to 23rd, get connected at the 2016 Living Victory Chicago Faith Encounter with Kenneth Copeland and Kelly Copeland Swisher, Chicago, Illinois. July 4th through 9th, join Kenneth and Gloria Copeland and their special guests for the 2016 Southwest Believers Convention in Fort Worth, Texas. August 19th through 20th, get involved at the 2016 Living Victory Anaheim Faith Encounter with Kenneth Copeland and Kelly Copeland Swisher in Anaheim, California. Exclusively for the partners of Kenneth Copeland Ministries, the online partner community, a safe place to meet and connect with other KCM partners. Go to KCM.org and click on community. Log in and enjoy a social experience sharing with other believers who have the same foundation of faith. It's easy to use with lots of features and fun. Meet and have conversations with other KCM partners around the world. Encourage and build each other up. Share your testimonies. Kenneth and Gloria Copeland pray for their partners every day. Here's a great way to pray for one another. You can also fellowship with other KCM partners who share similar interests and goals. God never meant for us to be alone. The online partner community brings us all together. Visit kcm.org and check out the online partner community today and see what a difference being connected makes. Greetings and come to you live from Glendora, California. I'll be reading an article from Believer's Voice of Victory by Kenny Copeland. It's uh, the magazine for June 2021. You can get your own copy uh, electronically or the real one at kcm.org. Well, it looks like magazine.kcm.org. Yet Wisdom is the title that got my interest. It's just amazing how bold a person can say, Get Wisdom. 
and prove it and have the, uh, a lot of us can say we get wisdom when we have our garages full of stuff, you know, or in depth or uh, sickly or having a sin in our lives, you know, but the influencing others is the name of the game. Being ready in season and out of season. So here we go. Kenny Copeland's Get Wisdom. Here's a common mistake, he says. That believers make when they're learning to operate by faith. The instant they're faced with some negative situation in their lives or some mountainous problem that needs to be moved, they immediately start praying, making faith commands, and quoting scriptures. By his stripes I'm healed. Uh, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. No weapon of no weapon will prosper against me. But whatever I do will prosper in the name of the Lord. My God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I am a world overcomer because I am born of God. Hallelujah. The devil is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I confess success and favor till Jesus comes and takes me home. I am a world overcomer because I have been born of God. Amen. My little testimony there. And Kenny Compline continues. They don't check their spirit for the leading of the Lord or take any time to hear from Him. They just react. If they're sick, they just start saying, Oh God, I am. I need healing. I declare I'm healed, according to 1 Peter 2.24. If they're faced with financial problems, they just immediately start asking for money. Oh God, I need $1,000. I believe I receive it they say. Such knee-jerk praying and declaring sounds right enough. Sometimes it even works, but all too often it doesn't. It's like shooting a scatter shot. It makes noise, but tends to miss it. You know, uh, I'm going to have to do this again because it seems like the podcast is around my brain. Apologize for it. Um, One of the things... I remember when I first went to, I think it was the late 80s, I went to a, a convention with Kenny Copeland. And it was a smaller convention than the ones we're used to. It was uh, in, uh, I forget the uh, auditorium, the Shear Auditorium or something like that here in Los Angeles. It was a Jewish name congregation. And uh, it was awesome. But the point I'm making is I was down to... Um, my few dollars, I gave all my money away. And I got blessed. Not all my money, but, you know, $100. Well, let's say, for instance, I uh, maybe triple my 10% giving. And I got promoted. Three, four days later, they they promoted me to days. And then from there, they promoted me to another facility. For me to give, that was a direct hit from giving to Kenny Copeland Ministries. Hot soil. But the point I'm making, I was walking to my car back, and we were all... Uh, the, the seminar had finished, it was nighttime, and 
All, all of us Christians are walking back to our cars, different people. I didn't know anybody. There's people in front of me and people in back of me. But I can hear that couple in the back talking. And they're talking. And you know they have financial problems. And, and honey, what you get? Uh, and the other guy, the guy says, I don't know. Uh, how are we going to get out of this situation? And then she says, well, the way I understand it and the way I heard it, she says, Oh, you just call it forward. Call money to come. You call it. <laughs> and it's so simple, you know. As I thought about it through the years, I thought about how uh, we're made in God's image. And just like little children, we just have to call it by faith. You know, I hereby, in the name of Jesus, call that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I call cleanliness in my, in my house. I call cleanliness in my garage. I call sufficiency in my portfolio. I call gold and silver to come forward. I say glory, glory, glory to my checking account. Glory to my pocketbook. I say glory, glory to my voice, to my mind. I say glory, glory to the mind of Christ that's inside me. I call forward houses and riches and inheritance from fathers and a, a prudent spouse that's from the Lord. I call forward that the blessing of the Lord, it makes one rich and he has no sorrow for it. I call forward 30 bars of fine gold. I call forward. I am a giant in the Glendora business community. I call forward. I am a good pilot. I call forward. I am a good giver. I give to Africa. Resources, supply, money. I call forward. I am very fortunate. I am fortunate. I call forward. I call forward the blood of Jesus that heals me. I call forward the blood of Jesus. I call forward the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ. By his stripes, I am healed. I call forward the wonderful water of Jesus that was baptized in, the water that came out of his side. I call that water forward. Wonderful water. I drink that water, that creative water that flow from Jesus' side and his blood. I call that forward. I call the body of Jesus Christ forward. I call the bread of life forward. I call the word of God forward. I call that with God all things are possible. I call those words forward. I'm calling on those words. I say yes, yes, yes. To the blessings of God. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. To the material blessings of God. Yes, yes. Be glorified, Lord. Glorify your name, Lord, in this life. Glorify your name in this hour, Lord. Let it be according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Ah, there is a God for Fernando. There is a God for you. We call forward... Hallelujah. Oh, that you have blessed us indeed, and we thank you. Oh, you have enlarged our territory, our minds, our souls, our resources. You have enlarged our 
ministries. You have enlarged our children, Lord, and blessed them. You have enlarged our parents and our siblings. Thank you. And that you protect us, that the hand of evil will not be upon us, Lord. That you will cover us, Lord. Oh, that I will call upon the Lord, and we are saved, we are protected, and God did what we requested. Oh, I call forward competent, good children. I call forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to you, Father. Glory to you, Son, Jesus. Glory to you, Holy Spirit. Glorify your name in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today, let's say it's July 13th. Let us thank God for the opportunity to have be together and listen to these uh, electronic gizmos. Thank you, Father, at this time and place that we are. I'm going to be reading to you at Jesus Calling today, July 13. Sarah Young says, I want you to experience the riches of your salvation, the joy of being loved constantly and perfectly. You make a practice of judging yourself based on how you look or behave or feel. If you like what you see in the mirror, you feel a bit more worthy of my love. When things are going smoothly and your performance seems adequate, you find it easier to believe you are my beloved child. When you feel discouraged, you tend to look inward so you can correct whatever is wrong. Instead of trying to fix yourself, fix your gaze on me, the lover of your soul. Rather than using your energy to judge yourself, redirect it to praising me. Remember that I see you clothed in my righteousness, radiant in my perfect love. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You can say to to yourself, God bless you. God bless you. God loves you. God bless you. And George Matheson said, Waiting with hope is very difficult, but true patience is expressed when we must even wait for hope. I will have reached a point of great strength once I have learned to wait for hope. George Matheson. And Psalm 31, 24, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. All you who... Hope in the Lord. And the Lord says, I want you to love me, listen to my voice, and hold fast to me, for I am your life. This is the way of wisdom. I am training you to stay close to me as you walk along perilous path. In any close relationship, listen and loving are vital importance. And they are interconnected. Listen to me as I rejoice over you with gladness and quiet you with my love. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you receive my glorious love in full measure. This will dramatically increase your love for me. The world is full of dangers, so it is wise to hold tightly to my hand. Listen through my spirit and my word while I talk with you. Through tough times, pour out your heart to me. Remember that I am your refuge. As you stay in dialogue with me, 
I help you to handle whatever is before you. Hold fast to me, beloved, for I am your life. Amen. On Psalm 63, 6, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Psalm 63, 7, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. 1 Timothy 6, 12, 16, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed, the only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, how wonderful you are. You have stored up so many good things for us. Like a treasure chest heaped up and spilling over with blessings. All for those who honor and worship you. You do this to us all so everyone can see. Psalm 31:19. Amen. Lord, we give this day unto you and tomorrow, Lord. We give it into your hands that we may rejoice, choose to rejoice in you in this day. Just rejoice in you. That's all we want, Lord, to be closer to you. For with man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let us be in your hands today, Lord, we pray. Amen. Greetings, family. Welcome to today's podcast. I trust that you, I find you in good spirits, calm, holy, capable, and able through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. I'll be reading today from a letter called Purpose, Grace to For Purpose. It says, I read a few phrases the other day which rang true to me, and they said, If you want to be distressed, then look within. If you want to be defeated, then look back at your past. If you want to be distracted, then look around you. If you want to be dismayed, then look ahead, because no one knows what the future holds for them, 
And finally, if you want to be delivered, if you need to be delivered, then look up. Look up to Jesus. Look up to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. And the thing is, if your eyes are focused on anything other than Jesus Christ, then it's all negative. Everything we will be bleak, dark, because you can't look within yourself for strength. You can look inside yourself for motivation or happiness, but in reality, on your own strength, you won't last very long. Sooner or later, life will bring something before you that requires a higher power than you. If you want to feel defeated, then, of course, just look at your past. The devil will tell you that no one who comes from a background like yours or with your life circumstances can ever amount to anything. He'll tell you that God won't ever use someone with a history like yours. But this is why you should have your eyes fixed on Jesus. He doesn't care what your past is. In fact, he will use your past. He will turn your life around and demonstrate that he can take you from the lowest of the low points of life and use it for his glory. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because if you stray and wander, if you begin to look at what's around you instead of looking at Jesus Christ, then you will get distracted. You will become preoccupied with things and with situations and with events that don't even matter. Things that are of this world instead of those things that are eternal. Furthermore, I want you to know that if you want to be dismayed, if you want to be left feeling hopeless, then just try looking ahead. Try looking to the future on your own. Because that's the thing about the future is that it's unknown. It's unknown to all of us. We don't know what awaits our tomorrow. So you focus on this, you will be dismayed, discouraged. And here's my point. When you focus on anything else other than Jesus Christ, you'll be left in a state of worry and dismay because everything is uncertain. But dear friend, when it comes to your past, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. When it comes to your weakness, keep your eyes on Jesus and when it comes to your future, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and every single aspect of your life. Don't dare to focus on what's around you. Don't focus on what's within you or even what's ahead of you. Simply focus on Jesus Christ, the author the and finisher of our faith. Let us pray. King Jesus, I bow down to you and I say that you are great and mighty and you are worthy to be praised. I pray that the Holy Spirit, my teacher, would help me keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Help me to be firm and set the Lord before me. Let me be not swayed or distracted by this world, but let me remain focused on the Lord always. Help me, Holy Ghost, that I may be disciplined not to let my eyes wander or gaze at anything sinful. Rather, your word says in Psalm 16, 8, 
I have set the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Father, I will always keep you in front of me, ahead of me every step, in front of me every move. I will always let you, King Jesus, go before me, because so long as you are my side, then I cannot be shaken. So, take the lead, Master. Lord, have your way. I pray for the strength to keep fighting my carnal desire to take matters into my own hands. Instead, Father, I submit to you, and I always keep my eyes on Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to continually keep my eyes on the Lord always. If I am struggling, then my eyes should be on Jesus. I pray whether times are hard or easy, my eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus Christ. Whether my friends are there or if they abandon me, may my eyes be fixed on Jesus. My eyes are always to be on Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2 Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your love for me. All praise and honor to the Most High, the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The beautiful name of Jesus Christ. The beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Let us give him praise and thanksgiving in our lives. For he did it. He done it. It is finished. King Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, we bow to you, Lord, and surrender. Thy will be done, Father, not my will. Thy will be done, not my will. Thy will be done, Lord. Set aside prayer. Lord, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, and everything I think I know about my recovery, my own, for a new experience. And you, Lord, a new experience in myself, for a new experience in my fellow man, and a much-needed experience in my recovery. In Jesus' name, amen. Second prayer, our Father, we come to you as a friend. You have said that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you will be in the midst. We believe that you're here with us now. We believe this is something you would have us to do and that it has your blessing. We pledge with you always to be honest and to search our heart for weakness and errors that we may deserve your help. We believe that you want us to be real partners with you in this business of living, accepting our full responsibilities and certain that the rewards will be freedom, growth, and happiness. For this, we are grateful. We ask you at all times to guide us, help us daily to come closer to you, and grant us new ways of living our gratitude. Amen. Please say the serenity prayer with me. 
God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, now please do the third step prayer with me. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Seven-step prayer. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Okay, we're going to do the uh, acceptance prayer. Okay, the acceptance prayer. You know how the acceptance prayer, it goes... Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it is all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Amen. God bless you, family. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Acts 2, 26-27 More than 21 years ago, God said something to me that will mark my ministry forever. It was this. The only hope that any man has anywhere in the world is faith in Jesus Christ. In light of what's happening around us today, the truth is of that statement is more plentiful, obvious than ever before. We are a generation with diseases no man can heal, with problems no man can solve. What fleeing successes we have are quickly overshadowed by news and greater crisis. As too often, that's a true, as too often, that is true for believers as it is for unbelievers. It shouldn't be, but it is. Believers are being killed by the same diseases that are devastating the rest of the world. They're being plagued by the same problems. And many are walking around without hope, just like the rest of the world. Why? Because the only hope that any man has is faith in Jesus Christ. And the majority of Christians don't know how to live by faith. Instead of being filled with the word, and with faith, they've been stuffed full of religious tradition and superstitious, and they're suffering when the devil hits them with sickness and disease, with poverty or depression or divorce, 
They often stand by helplessly as it destroys them. They simply don't know what else to do. The Bible says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6 But you know, your hope is in Jesus. Trust Him and tell the world, their hope is in Him too. Amen. <laughs> My screen just went off. What happened? The heater went on and the screen went off. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. Amen. They sang praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Amen. I remember all these scriptures centered to Jesus for he is our foundation and he is our plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29.11 The Lord Jesus is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yes, even though... We walk through this valley of the shadow of death and disease. We will fear no evil, for you are right beside us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Lord Jesus, you have prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You have anointed our head with oil. Hallelujah. Our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us and love all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 23. In Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, say it with me. Say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Who satisfies my youth with good things so my, that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Let's say that again. Let's say it again. Okay. Ready? From the King James. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who forgives all of my iniquities, who heals all of my diseases, who redeems me from pit of destruction, who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Psalm 103, verse 1 through 5. In Matthew 22:29, 29, But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Amen. 1 John 5:15, And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. In John 6, 27, we do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man has given us. For on him the Father has set his seal, on the Son of Man. Amen. Jesus was going throughout the Galilee, teaching in all the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Matthew 4.23 Matthew 10, 42, And whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Proverbs 16, 20, He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Pay attention to the word will find good. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped in giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power to us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, 
power, and dominion. Every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 22. And Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. First John 4, 7 and 10. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. Everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not love or know God, for God is love. In this way, the love God was revealed to us, that love. God sent his only son into the world that we might have life through him. And this is love, that we have loved God but that, that he loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins. Welcome to today's podcast. We're going to be reading from a couple of books today. Uh, Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Our first reading for today was sent to us by Ozzy from Northern California. Thank you, Ozzy. And she sent us uh, Jesus Calling. She says... Thankfulness opens the door to my presence, the Lord says. Though I am always with you, I have gone to great measures to preserve your freedom of choice. I have placed a door between you and me, and I have empowered you to open or close the door. There are many ways to open it, but a grateful attitude is one of the same of the most effective. Thankfulness is built on a substructure of trust. When thankful words stick in your throat, you need to check up on your foundation of trust. When thankfulness flows freely from your heart and lips, let your gratitude draw you closer to me. I want you to learn the art of giving thanks in all circumstances. See how many times you can thank me daily. This will awaken your awareness to a multitude of blessings. It will always cushion the impact of trials when they come against you. Practice my presence by practicing the discipline of thankfulness. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Ozzy. And our next reading was sent to me this morning by Les Elkana. He is a wonderful man, influenced and loves a lot of people. 
His is called patience. Uh, I am patient with others as they grow. I take patience to plant a seed. It takes patience to plant a seed, excuse me, and wait for signs of life to spring through the soil. Still longer for the bloom to grow into fullness. Through it all, I do my part to encourage its growth. I provide water and sunshine and protective from destructive elements that might harm the tender seedling. As it grows, I have faith. It is evolving exactly as it should, unfolding in an orderly pattern. I remember this as I support others as they grow. They may be overcoming a challenge or moving toward a goal. Either way, I resist the urge to push them in the direction I think they should go or rush their development. I know they are listening to the call of their hearts and their inner voices. I am patient and kind as I offer my support and love. Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm Fernando. I am in recovery. And I say to you that thanking God is like planting seeds. We got to hang on like a bulldog, especially if we don't understand the problem or the situation we're in, or we don't see any light in the tunnel. Continue to, to appreciate things. Thank God. Acknowledge Him and praise Him for His wonderful love. Say, God is good and His love endures forever. God is good and His faithfulness endures forever. Acknowledging God make, brings them into the, into the realm, into the situation. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift up his counts and give you peace. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be blessed. Amen.